this morning, I want to look at Matthew, the 12th chapter. And we're going to look at verse 46 down to the end of the chapter and ask this question, who are my brothers? Who are my brothers? Matthew 12 and 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without. This would be Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it would also be the half-brothers, the children of Mary and Joseph that were born after the marriage uh, of, of Joseph and Mary and after, of course, Jesus was born. They desired to speak with him. Verse 47. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So we ask a very important question this morning. This is for you, from my heart to your heart. And I want you to think about what's going on here. There's a crowd around Jesus, and he's preaching, he's teaching. You can read some great things that he was preaching and teaching just prior to this event. And don't let the chapter break throw you off, because immediately after this little interaction took place, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and he began to teach uh, the parables, the seven parables there. I've often wondered, what did they come to tell him? What did his mother and his brethren, his half-brothers, want to speak to him about? I don't know for sure, but immediately after they came, he goes out to the seaside and begins to preach. I don't know if they were coming to tell him, hey, there's a big crowd over here. You need to wind it up here and come over there. But whatever it was, we don't know. But just get the picture in your mind of Jesus sitting in among this large crowd of people who were hanging on every word that he was saying. And his mother and his brethren show up. Those are important people. <laughs> you know, you, your mother, your father, your, uh, your, your brothers, your sisters, those are important people in your life. This is not to diminish in any way whatsoever the importance of our natural family relations. But there have been times, maybe even in your life, when you have had to separate yourself, maybe from the natural ties of mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever it may be, in order to serve the Lord. You're not plowing any new ground if you have to do that. That's happened for many years. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm not coming to bring peace. I'm coming to bring a sword to divide the mother from the son, the son from the father, the daughter from the mother, so forth and so on. He was bringing such a tremendously powerful message and the kingdom that he was bringing to usher into this world, that it was something that he expected and knew would divide families from time to time. Now, isn't it wonderful to look around you today if you're here with your family? It's very comforting to know and say, well, this is a great blessing that we're, we are experiencing an incredible blessing to worship the Lord with our natural family. And you might be here at some point or today by yourself and saying, I wish my family was here. <laughs> Either way that you look at it, you're in the company of the Lord. And the Lord knew that people would experience those kind of things. It's okay if you have to divide yourself from your family in order to pursue the kingdom of God. And it's very much okay if your family comes along with you. <laughs> Husband, wife, children, whatever it might be, parents, grandparents, whatever. It can be a great blessing. But Jesus understood there were going to be times when this truth 
this kingdom would divide families. You can look in the history of persecution where I've given you the account of a young woman. It's a factual historical account where a young woman who was expecting a baby was and was a Christian, was a baptized member of the church. This was almost 2,000 years ago. And her mother and her father, especially her father, begged and pleaded with her to unconfess Jesus, to deny Jesus, to think of the life of the child that she was about to have. And she actually had the child while she was in the custody of the Romans. And that young woman went to her death and left her child to be raised and taken care of by her family who were not Christians, who were not following the Lord. And she was put to death in the arena because she would not choose her natural family over the spiritual family of God. I pray that nobody under the sound of my voice ever has to make that decision. I pray you don't. But I'm going to tell you this. Somebody will have to before the Lord comes back. It might be your generation. It might be the next generation. Somebody's going to have to make that decision because it's going to happen again. So you might as well gear your mind towards these things. There are ties that are more important than natural ties. Jesus is making that point. doesn't mean that it's not important, but there's something more important. And it's the spiritual tie that we have in the truth, in the kingdom of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now get the picture there. They say to Jesus, your mother and your brother, stop everything. Your mother and your brethren are outside and they desire to speak to you. And Jesus, as he often did, turned it back on them and said, who is my mother and my brethren? And you know, everybody was probably like, he's lost his mind again. <laughs> he says, who is my mother and my brethren? And he, I could just see him stretching forth his hand to that large congregation of people that were gathered there speaking with him and hanging on his every word. He said, behold, my mother and my brethren. He was making the point, these are my spiritual mothers and brothers and sisters. How do we know? What's the definition there? He says, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Notice he stretched forth his hands to the disciples. I'm going to say a very brief few words about discipleship because it is one of the most important distinctions that you can make in the Word of God. Because You must be a child of God, born of the Spirit of God, to ever become a disciple of God. You see? But all children of God, born of the Spirit of God, are not disciples. Discipleship is, and there's just really no other way to put it, it's a special experience of following the Lord that only those that are willing to lay down their lives to serve the Lord can experience. That's what the Word of God teaches. Jesus says, if you're doing the will of my Father then you are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. Now I want you to see Christ's view on this. And then I, want you to, I, then I want to talk about your view. Okay, Think about Christ's view as He stretched out His hands to these disciples who were following Him, who had denied some other activity to come there and hear the words of Jesus. And we're not just talking about Sunday morning worship, which, of course, that is extremely important, the public worship of the saints. But think about the ongoing daily activity that we engage in. He says, these are my brothers and sisters. So he elevated the disciples from the level of just discipleships, which were students, which were followers of the Lord. He elevated them from just disciples to mothers, brothers, and sisters. You say, well, why didn't he say fathers? Well, because there's only one heavenly father. You see, so brothers, sisters, mothers. Look at Luke 6. Luke 6 and 46, 
this is where Jesus is speaking about discipleship, about what it means to be a disciple. He says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why would you call Jesus your master or your Lord, your guide, and not do the things that he says? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Verse 47, now verse 48. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I'm not a very good builder at all, but I've enjoyed building tree houses ever since I was a little bitty fella. I even bought that tree house book to look at all the designs and things that you could do. This was an old, old book, way before Tree House Masters was on TV, which completely blows everybody out of the water. But back in the day, I would build tree houses here and there and just little, little, they were good for me. I could, I'd build them as high as I could reach most of the time, and I wasn't very tall back then. But we built a tree house down by a creek on part of our property, this big oak tree. And it was a shabby job. All my tree houses are shabby, but I intend for them to be shabby, you know? It's a tree house. And so we built this tree house right beside the stream, and we, we used it for years. We even used it for a hunting house a time or two. Well, eventually the beavers came and built a dam way, you know, half a mile down or a quarter mile down. And the whole little valley there just flooded and got really wet and messy. And it's still that way. And eventually the, the roots of that huge oak tree began to rot and began to come up because it was so moist there. And the, and the treehouse just began to just lean over. And we got in it a few times. It was a little bit scary. You know, instead of like this, you know, they kept doing this and this and this. It wasn't a great, it was a decent foundation when I built it, but through time, the foundation began to be uprooted, see, because of the water coming up there in it. And of course, eventually the whole tree just fell, the treehouse fell with it, and it's gone now, it's rotted away. Think about what this is teaching us. If we don't build our church, if we don't build our families, if we don't build our lives on the rock, on the, on the foundation that never moves, then we're going to experience incredible loss in, the, in our lives. A house. Now, don't miss that. He's talking about a man who builds a house to do what? To raise a family in that house. To have a wife and raise a family. And if it's not built on the rock, on the truth, then when the storms are going to come. It's going to come to the man that has the house built on the rock, and it's going to come to the a man who has the house built on nothing, on the sand. <laughs> And the question is, what's going to happen when the winds begin to shake it? Well, the house that's built on nothing is just going to fall. It's going to fall. Jesus is saying, why would you build your house on anything else other than a rock if you are following me? He said, what all does that entail? <laughs> that's, that's probably many sermons worth of messages. But you say, well, am I experiencing that or not? How do things go when the storms come? That's the question. When the storms come, does the house fall? Or does the house stand? That's a good indication right there. Look over at James, the first chapter, as we consider further what Jesus is saying when he speaks of the disciples and his brothers and his sisters and his mothers. He elevates discipleship to those that are his brothers and his sisters. James 1, I've always found these verses very instructive. Look at James 1 and verse 21. James, the writer, who by the way was probably a half-brother to Jesus, but 
He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Big words. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, there's many today that would twist that into meaning. Well, that's how you go to heaven. That's not the context at all. Listen, embracing the teachings of the Word of God and eliminating as much of this as you can from your life and building your house on the rock, it will cause your soul to be saved in this life. And he's not talking about it in an eternal sense. He's talking about a timely sense. Watch what this says. Lay apart filthiness. That is dirty or cheap or shabby stuff. You know, when we, the kids were little, we'd say, now, we're not going to use potty language. You know, we're not going to use that kind of language. You know, we're going to use a language that carries more of a, a graceful tone with it. <laughs> well, the world has gone to potty language. <laughs> you know, you can't hardly turn the television on. Matter of fact, sometimes we'll watch a movie and you know that this particular character is always going to curse. <laughs> and so we'll be watching that movie even if I don't have the clear play on and I'll just mute it when that character comes on. Well, why are you muting it, Daddy? Well, he's always got something ugly to say. Mute. <laughs> you know, you, you can predict it. You, you know, you can be your own clear play if you need to. That's shabbiness or dirtiness or something cheap. He says, lay apart that which is cheap or shabby. And, and he says, lay apart those things that are uh, superfluity of naughtiness. That, that's a big word, but superfluity just means a surplus. I think it's interesting not that we don't use the word naughty except when it comes sometimes to Christmas. You know, we sing if you've been naughty and nice or whatever. Naughty was a very common word back in these days, and it just means depraved. It's not a funny word. It's a serious word that means to be depraved. And here James is saying to lay apart the surplus of depravity in your life. It is understood you've got depravity in your life because you're a sinner. Just don't have a surplus of it. Keep working on it, you see? Lay apart superfluity, surplus of naughtiness, surplus of depravity. You've got enough trouble without going and looking for it. He says, but be a doer of the word. Look at verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You say, well, what does that mean? Am I a doer of the word or am I a, a, just a hearer of the word? Let's read on. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is what he's like. A man beholding his natural face in a glass. A man beholding himself in a mirror. Okay? For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So someone who is a mere hearer of the Word... Listen, this presupposes that the Gospel is supposed to bring some things in your life to yourself to your attention. (laughs) Because if you're looking in a glass, what are you doing? If you're observing yourself in a glass, in a mirror... You're looking at yourself. Maybe when you get up in the morning, if you're the ladies, you have to put your makeup on. You have to do your hair. You know, you have to, you get, have to get all dressed up. I'm not ever going to get up straight out of bed and just go to the office. That's a horror show, you know. I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to wash my face. I'm going to brush my teeth. And I'm going to look in the mirror and, and I'm going to say, now, it looks like I've got everything in order. You know, I might even check another mirror somewhere during the day, like the time that I, Sister Tracy let me go to the office with soap sticking out of my ear. <laughs> a story for another day. <laughs> well, it's Sister Tracy's fault. It's my fault. But I had soap sticking out of my ear. You know, I just wasn't checking myself in the mirror quite good enough. And I know you're thinking, how did you get a bar of soap in your ear? It was just a little piece. But I didn't catch that that day. If I had caught that, I would have got it out of my ear. Because I got to court with a piece of soap sticking out of my ear. <laughs> they were wondering if I was okay back in those days. But you look in the mirror, you get all fixed up, and you say, okay, I remember what I look like, so now I'm going out. 
Okay, you might check out and say, well, do I, is, is everything the same? If you get in the wind, if you stick your head out the window while you're driving to work and it blows your hair, you might get to work and fix your hair again, see? This is someone who forgets what they are. The gospel is intended to tell you what you are, that you're a sinner, that you have a surplus of depravity in your life that you need to continue to work on laying it apart, laying it apart, laying it aside. And if you go away from, yeah, I'm a sinner. I see that I'm bad. I see that I need to work on myself. And then you just go away and you just forget it and you just do whatever you want to do. That's a hearer of the Word. But a doer of the Word, it says, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Gospel, that's the mirror that I'm speaking of, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It's the same example as Brother Luke gave us sent from the book of Luke here, where the Pharisee, he goes and he looks in the mirror and he says, I look great. I look perfect. I'm perfect. It's like the old song. I think it was Mac Davis that sang it. You remember that, Brother Jim? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> That's what the Pharisee does. I'd look great. I'm perfect. But the old publican goes and looks in the mirror and he can't even look at himself in the mirror. There was another song by Keith Whitley many, many years ago that was called I Never Go Around Mirrors. <laughs> I got a country song for every possible scenario. <laughs> the old publican listened to the Keith Whitley song I Never Go Around Mirrors. He couldn't look at himself because he saw what he was. He was not an axe murderer. He was not somebody that robbed people. He was not someone that was going around committing adultery. He was not someone that was engaged in some horrific crime or horrific sin. He was just an average, ordinary person struggling to make it through this life. And the Gospel told him what he was. And he went down to his house justified. See? God saw him looking in that mirror and God approved of the way that he viewed himself. God did not approve of the way that publican viewed himself. So are you a hearer of the Word or a doer of the work? The Gospel intends for that type of revolution to come to your life and blow up your life. That's what uh, the power of the Gospel means. The word power means dynamite. It's the root word for dynamite. It's supposed to blow up your life. It's supposed to send you in a different direction. It's supposed to make you think differently. It's supposed to make you continue to look into the Gospel, the mirror that shows you your wicked soul, and yet it also it's like a two-way mirror. It also shows you the glories of the Lord and what He has done for your soul. <laughs> and it's funny to me. It says... Verse 26, if any man seem, among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he starts with the old tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is in vain. And then he gives you in verse 27, great instruction on how to be a disciple. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You do those three things, you will be on the road to discipleship. To visit the fatherless, to visit the widow, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's the path of discipleship. The gospel is intended to make you look at yourself. One more place on discipleship, and I've got to move on. John, the eighth chapter. The distinction is made clearly by Christ between children of God, born of the Spirit, that are just nominally going on and forgetting what the Lord has said about them, and a disciple. John 8, and look at verse 31. And notice, no, verse 30, notice the language. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. You see, the message that he spoke was not to everyone because there's those that didn't believe. 
So he spoke to the believers. To be a believer, you had to be touched by the Spirit of God. You had to be born again. That's the only way you can believe. Belief comes from the Spirit of God. And now watch what he says to the believers. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. There's a key to discipleship. Somebody says, well, I want to be a disciple of Christ. But I don't want to study my Bible and I don't want to read the word of God. Never going to happen. (laughs) You'll never be a disciple. Never. It can't happen. He says, if you continue in my word, then shall you be my disciples indeed. One more, Acts 11 and 26, he says this, that the, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. He didn't say everybody that was born again, that everybody, you know, you knew all these people were born again, so we'll call them Christians. No, it said the disciples were called Christians. Now, we don't know if the enemies called them Christians, Christ followers, or if I don't think they named themselves that. I just don't think they would have been that presumptuous. But some, because of the way they were living and, and loving one another and serving God, they called them uh, Christians, the disciples. So you say, well, that, the, the Christian world is this and the non-Christian world is that. Is it? Because the Bible definition of a Christian is a disciple. That cuts it way down, does it not? <laughs> so you see, discipleship was the key to what Jesus said these are my brothers, my sisters, my mothers. Now, that's Jesus' view of discipleship. Not only one who is following Him as just a mere disciple, but He elevates it to say, you're my brother, my sister, my mother. Now let's consider our view of this. And let me make this very, very clear about how we should view what Jesus says and how we should view one another. As children of God, in the church of God, in this local church here, we should view one another in the same light that Jesus viewed His children. He said, these disciples who are following me are my brothers, my sisters, and my mothers. We should view one another as Jesus viewed His children. And in following the Lord, we should see one another as brothers and sisters and mothers. (laughs) You see? So that eliminates some things from being in our minds when it comes to the church of God. Jockeying for position. You ever heard of that? Somebody's jockeying for position, trying to gain an advantage by position. In Titus 3 and 10, did you know that the basic root of the word heretic, Paul said to Titus, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject him. He's trouble. The basic root of the word heretic, we think of somebody who's teaching some horrible something, and that can be something that's way off base, but the basic root is to choose sides. That's the basic root of, of heretic, is somebody that says, choose who you will follow, me or this person over here. Asking you to choose sides is the basic root of the word heretic. Now, you can see that play out in many different ways. It could come out in the form, as I preached many times, it could come out in the form of cliques. <laughs> you know, cliques that line off in the church. I'm not saying that's an issue here. But it can be an issue when somebody's making you, well, don't be friends with this person, be friends with me. The basic root there is heresy. Trying to choose sides. You know, it doesn't mean you can't have friends and you can't enjoy this person's company or that person's company. But it does mean that when it comes to the worship of God, as I've told my children for many, many years, it's okay to have friends. I want you to have friends. But when we come to the worship of God, you know, we're here for a singular purpose. We're here to serve God in public worship. You know, it's not the time to buddy up. It's not the time to, uh, you know, to 
form cliques. And I'm not just accusing, that doesn't just have to be young children. It can be people of all ages. You know, well, here's the married group. Here's the single group. You know, you understand? Here's the older folks. Here's the younger folks. There's no question that folks that are young parents have a lot more to talk about with other young parents. There's no doubt about that. But when we view each other, we should not view each other primarily in those age groups or whatever we may be looking at. We should view each other as mother, brother, sister. You see? For the younger guys, you know, you wouldn't view your sister friend as your mother. You know, it's talking about the older ladies, you see, the older ones. What about playing favorites? James, the second chapter, speaks of playing favorites, where he speaks of a man in very rich clothing coming into the assembly. And James says, you ought not to have respect of persons. Somebody who is in rich clothing comes in and we say, oh, hey, you know, this guy, he, he might give a lot to the church, so we'll move him down front so he can have a good seat. But here comes this old poor sap in, you know, that probably can't even afford the clothes on his back, which is nobody here. I mean, we're just using the example from the scripture. You say, well, that guy, you know, he, he, he's probably going to smell a little bit. We better put him off by himself. That's respect of persons, you see. When it comes to the church of God, whether you're five years old or younger or 90 or older, you know, God sees us as mothers and brothers and sisters. And that's how we should see each other too. What about jealousies? I'll tell you, that's a tough one, isn't it? You know, there's all, all kinds of teaching in the Word of God about jealousies. The one that comes to mind is whenever David had just single-handedly, by the grace of God, delivered the nation of Israel... He delivered the nation of Israel and killed Goliath by the help of God. And then they come back into the city and the women were singing their, the song. Remember that song? And it went like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that was a number one hit that went out all through the land. Even the Philistines had heard it. Because when David goes down there later, they say, is not this the guy that they sang about over there in Israel? Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? And Saul, instead of saying, yeah, you're right, he sure did slay 10,000. My goodness, I'm so glad he's on our side. Saul got jealous and eyed David from that day and could not be content. <laughs> I tell you, jealousy is a terrible thing. Let me just say this. I just want to say this on record to everyone here. And there's some that are not even here this morning that I would say the same thing to. I am so happy for each of your children for whatever accomplishments they may make. I'm so happy, and I love them. That is my heart, that I love your children. And I, I, it's, you say, well, you're just doing this because you're the pastor. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm doing it because I love them, and I'm so happy whenever they are blessed. <laughs> you know, our little tennis team that some of y'all play on, singles and doubles on Friday, everybody won. <laughs> I'm like, praise God. I mean, I'm glad my girls won, but I'm glad your girls won too, whoever you may be. I sincerely, sincerely feel no form of jealousy whatsoever when it comes to the accomplishments of you or your children or if you're an individual without children, whatever the case may be. You think about this for just a moment. What if I got it in my head? I don't know where he stepped out to, but I could pick on him now that he stepped out. But what if I got it in my head? You know, my son Asher is the best song leader that I've ever seen in my life. And he's the only one that can do it. Sorry, Brother Jim, we're retiring you. Only Asher is going to be the song leader. Sorry, you're out of luck, Brother Clay. Uh, you know, what if that type of spirit of jealousy came upon me? And every time you came in, you'd come in and be like, oh boy, you know, he's got his son up there again, you know. <laughs> 
I mean, it's funny, it's kind of humorous, but there are spirits of jealousy that seize parents like that. I mean, in some form or another, if, if you're a parent or even a grandparent, that, that may even be an accentuated form of spirit of jealousy that could seize you. But what if some of you ladies went around singing, Brother Luke baptized 10,000 and Tim baptized 1,000. That's funny to me. It's funny to Brother Luke. But what if we got it in our head to be jealous of one another because of some silly song like that? You see, jealousy has no place in the kingdom of God. I like what Brother Furman said. I'm preaching on this because there's not a problem. When there is a problem, nobody listens. (laughs) So listen up. Parental jealousies have no place in the kingdom of God. I wish the best for every person Man, woman, and child. I wish the best for every person here. And I hope I demonstrate that. That's my goal. I'm supposed to be an example to the believers. God calls upon me to be that way. I am so happy for each of you. And I pray to God that the Lord continues to bless in every way. Those type of jealousies will divide and destroy a church. And that goes back to this. If we truly are brothers and sisters and mothers in Israel... Every woman in this church ought to be a mother or a grandmother to my children. Do you hear me? Every man in this church, older man, of course, ought to be a father type or a brother type to my children. As I should be to yours. It's not a competition. It's not, well, mine's doing better than yours. Or I wish, listen, that type of spirit will destroy the kingdom of God. You have something very special. I don't know if you realize it or not, but when it comes to truth and when it comes to the kingdom of God, and Satan would like nothing more than to topple and divide a truth-believing church. And if thank goodness most of you here have never seen the division of a truth-believing church. I have, and it is one of the ugliest things that you've ever seen. Amen. <laughs> and I know there's at least one or two more that have seen that. The spirit of jealousy. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. The spirit of jealousy divided the kingdom of Israel in those days. But you notice it didn't divide David and Jonathan. You remember that? The man who stood to inherit the throne from his father was best friends to the man after God's own heart. Praise God for that. Jesus views you as his brothers, his sisters, and his mothers if you do the will of your father. Jesus stretches forth his hand and says... Who are my brothers and my sisters and my mothers? These that do the will of my Father, that my disciples are my brothers, my sisters. We should look at each other in the same way. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 1 speaks of how the interaction of the church is to go among God's children. There's no way I can cover that in one minute, so I'm not going to try to. But it speaks of entreating one another. Entreating one another. To call to the side. Not to push away, but to call to the side. You know, 2 Chronicles 15 and 16 gives the account of the great king Asa who actually had to put his mother away from being queen. He had to take his mother and say, Mom, you're not going to be queen anymore because she had a grove, because she was worshiping idols. Listen, over 20 years ago, when my wife and I and our little daughter, who was just a baby, when we felt the Lord compelling us to go down the path of the kingdom of God in the primitive Baptist church, you know, 
we had to separate ourselves for a while from our own family because they didn't see the path that we were on. They didn't see it. And we had to separate ourselves. That was not an easy thing to do because they looked at us and thought, you're doing what? You're going where? There's only eight or nine people down there. But I'm going to tell you what. Here's my point. It all, it all worked out. You know, mom, dad... You know, my dad said when we, uh, when we joined down here and I told him I, I felt the Lord was going to call me to preach or had called me to preach, dad said, you don't really think, son, anybody's going to want to join down there, do you? <laughs> and I just gritted my teeth and said, I love you, dad. <laughs> but I did dunk him under a little bit deeper when I baptized him a few years later, you know. <laughs> Held him down for a little bit. How do you, what do you think about that? I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But we had to separate ourselves to follow the Lord. We had to create a division in our own family that well, it wasn't that pleasant for a while, but God took care of it. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this. Sister Tracy, you know, talking about being mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to each other. Think about what right now, especially you parents with children, if you died right now, just fell over dead, which can happen. You've got mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters abundantly around you that would take up your children and love them you understand that's the kind of thing that God calls us to do. I pray that would never happen. But years and years ago, when Sister Tracy and I, before Brother Chris was a primitive Baptist, we put in our will, you know, you know, if we died, both of us died together, who would take care of our children and blah, blah, blah. And I put a section in there, Brother Milam, that said, I'm instructing my brother to take my children to a primitive Baptist church somewhere. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I was thinking, even if I'm dead and gone, maybe I'll get him, you know. <laughs> Y'all don't tell him I said that, but... <laughs> He knows it. He knows it. But you understand the point. God calls upon us to be brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to one another. The church, in God's view, is a mother. Did you know that? The mother of us all. And we are the children of God to care for one another and to be cared for by each other in the church of God. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. And I did not ask his permission to tell this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> One of my children was very distraught, very upset, very sad, very brokenhearted. And it was a very difficult thing to, you know, even be in public, to show up and, you know, just put a smile on your face. It's hard to do that sometimes. And that child came on anyway, came to church and made it into my study where there was a little bit of a breakdown there. You know, that happens. If it hadn't happened to you yet, it will. <laughs> And I'll never forget, you know, here I am trying to get everything together and make sure everything's on track, and I've got a crying child in the study. <laughs> and my good friend, Brother Luke, he went in there and took care of things. He was a father to one of my crying, upset, hurting children. I'd already said pretty much everything I could say. I didn't know what else to say. That's what I'm talking about. Your children, you yourself, old, young, whatever you may be, you can come to me. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. That is part of it, but I love you and your children. And not just the ones with children. I mean everybody. You can come to me, and I'm going to treat you or your children. I'm going to treat you like a brother or sister, and I'm going to treat your children like they're my own. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, the ones that are following me are my mother's my brothers, and my sisters. My prayer is that we as a church would not just see that as Jesus' view, but we would make that our own view.
And again, there's no problem. I don't see a problem. I'm not witnessing any kind of a problem. But if there is a, ever is a problem, maybe you'll think back to this message where I bore my heart to you and related to you the Word of God and God's teaching on this. You are my brothers, my sisters, and my mothers. And I love you with all of my heart. And if you haven't followed the Lord in New Testament baptism, this will be a good day to do it. To come home to your mother, to the old mother church, and follow the Lord in New Testament baptism. There's no better place in this wicked and dark world to be than here. <laughs>